Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Perhaps you've heard of the story of the woman at the well found in John chapter 4, where we'll launch our talk today. If you're like me, you've, you've heard that story before. I've heard it many times, many preachers. But perhaps today, even in that video, you'll look at again this story in a new way. And sometimes if you've heard that story, like me, you pick up the remote and change the channel. I've seen that one before. I've seen that episode. I know how it ends. But maybe today the life-giving water of Jesus will come in a fresh way to you if you've heard this story before. Again, we're going to be in John chapter 4. And this story of Jesus and the woman at the well. You'll find the book of John towards the back of your Bible, the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. John 4, starting in verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. John the Baptist, that is. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We're going to stop our reading for there, for there today, but you can continue reading the story and take it to the close. But I want to examine some things that we find in the beginning of this passage. They're powerful. I think there's a lot of theology wrapped up in this familiar story. We launched into our series last week called What Fills You Up? We talked about this cultural icon, finding life at the bottom of a red solo cup. Whatever that means for you, whatever you fill life, your life up with. I realize many of you don't identify with this kind of cup anymore, so I thought maybe this might help you. <laughs> well, caffeine, the nectar of the gods, right? So as we look to the scripture, we can maybe begin to answer and expose some of the things that we fill our life up with question this morning is, what is the source 
of life for you. So Jesus, on his journey here in John chapter 4, it tells us at the beginning that the Pharisees heard about what he was doing. They were a little jealous about what was going on here. And it tells us that he was leaving Judea for Galilee. And his journey would take him through Samaria. He was going through. His road led through this place called Samaria. For those of you familiar with the story, you oftentimes may have heard people say things about the woman at the well who is this outcast. And perhaps she was. But think about the road that Jesus is traveling on from Judea to Galilee through an area called Samaria, a town called Sychar, full of Samaritans. Who's the outcast in this town? I would argue that Jesus was. The heads turning in town were probably at this traditionally dressed Jewish man strolling through the streets of Sychar. And the questions of the Samaritans in that town are what? Is he doing here? Jesus, the Jew, associating with Samaritans. That he would even stop in Samaria is a a point to be noted. For Jews and Samaritans, not only did they not get along, but Jews considered Samaritans a a subhuman class. These were second-rate citizens. They were mixed They were mutts, they were mongrels, and they were a reminder of the Assyrian slavery and mixing and commingling of the races so many years before. Traditional Jews would just simply avoid all contact with Samaritans, for they were unclean, they weren't pure Jews. And there was a religious class, the Samaritans following their traditions had their own temple to worship at, and of course the Jews claimed that the true temple was in Jerusalem. And this racial clash clash went both ways. In fact, many traditional Jews would simply journey around Samaritan towns at risk to themselves simply to avoid contact or association with Samaritans. Can you hear it now, the chatter between the disciples who are following Jesus through Samaria, wondering why he's going through these towns? Perhaps they were saying to each other, hey, Would you rather go through a Samaritan town or jump in a pool of razor blades? Razor blades, razor blades. Would you rather stop in a a Samaritan town or Simon Peter? Would you rather have your back hair waxed? What, What do you choose? Can you imagine the conversations, even the disciples were having among themselves? But Jesus's journey was not one simply of geography but of purpose. When you read the text and it says, now he had to go through Samaria, you assume that Google said, in 100 feet, turn right. Right? But the writer's intent here in the use of he needs to is better translated a must need. It was more than chance or choice or default, but by divine providence that Jesus would journey through Samaria. You look at the few verses before this that talk about the religious 
people, the Pharisees, who were jealous and even murderous of Jesus. And you see that maybe Jesus' hand is forced in fear for his life. He flees Judea to go to Galilee as if controlled merely by men. But there's more to the story than that. Jesus was not in fear for his life. He, he knew his time had been appointed by God the Father, and in that he trusted. But he had good work to do, and his journey would lead him through Samaria. The writer is implying that Jesus' journey is purposeful. Because if you read throughout the book of John, you see that John, the writer, oftentimes mentions these purposeful withdrawals that Jesus takes of quietness, of teaching, of prayer, not in response to human pressure, for Jesus knew who was in control and he trusted his Father's direction and determined hour of his life. And in this moment, as Jesus journeyed, there is an encounter, perhaps It's a chance encounter, but an encounter nonetheless at a well, which would have been a place of social encounters. But in this moment, it was a divine encounter. Have you ever prayed for those moments? Have you ever had that moment? A divine encounter. Maybe you said it was a God moment. Maybe you said it was coincidence. That just means God was working anonymously. But in this moment, there is a divine encounter purposeful encounter. And Jesus was tired. It just seems like an odd sentence in the, in the midst of all this. Jesus was tired from the journey, and so he sat down. He sent his disciples to go gather food. And I think if I'm the writer of this and you want to put Jesus on legendary status, you don't mention that he was fatigued. You just don't. But this is what causes me to believe in Scripture so much more is that these moments of Jesus' humanity are just a matter of fact. That if you're to write Jesus into mythical status, you don't mention that he's tired and that he's thirsty and that he's hungry. But this reinforces the theological basis for all of the Gospels, but especially in John's, that the incarnation of Jesus was not merely that he was divine, but that the incarnation of Jesus was that he was both fully human and fully divine. An overemphasis on either one of these oftentimes leads us to misinterpretations and errors in our theology. Jesus was God, but as the writer Paul in the book of Philippians chapter 2 talks about Jesus who being in very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or something that he should hold on to, but that he emptied himself of his divine nature, fully relying on the power of the Holy Spirit in his time on earth. He poured out his cup. All of his divinity and connection to God came through the reliance on the Holy Spirit. Jesus was human. He was tired. He sent the disciples to get food. In fact, some translations say he sent them to get meat, which means Jesus was not a vegetarian. (laughs) 
There's no theological point there. I'm just staying. <laughs> and he was thirsty. Jesus was thirsty. And he humbles himself. In this moment, this Samaritan woman comes upon the well. This is sort of a crisis for a traditional Jew who you don't associate with Samaritans, much less speak to a woman. He humbles himself to her, both a Samaritan and a woman. And knowing that her trip to the well at the middle of the day meant that she probably chose that hour for reasons that he could only guess. Perhaps she wanted to avoid the glances and the whispers of the townspeople. Maybe she had a reputation. But he knew that her trip there was purposeful as well as his. And she was broken, sinful. In all these things, Jesus has an encounter, a conversation that all starts with the humility to ask for a cup of water. Her response, how can you ask me for a drink? You, a a Jewish man, and me, a Samaritan woman? She's trying to figure out, aren't you a kosher concerned Jew? Wouldn't you rather die than receive tainted and unclean water from a Samaritan woman, from a cup that my family and I have drank from? Do you want cheese and bacon on your burger as well? What's your angle? She asks. Are you like most men that I've known? Do you think I'm a prostitute? Because you're stepping out of bounds. All of our cultural and traditional bounds, you are just jumping right over. You're treating me like a person who has value. Jesus' response, if you only knew. If you only knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, if you only knew. I often wonder in our lives and in my life, I'm more like this Samaritan woman than I care to admit. And if I only knew, if I only knew the living water at my disposal, if I only knew who it was that was asking, and maybe to you this morning, if you only knew, do you know who it is that's speaking to you this morning? Is it the guy on the stage, or perhaps there's someone greater speaking to your heart this morning, if you only knew? And Jesus doesn't engage her on the natural level. He doesn't continue the conversation about his thirst nor her need for water, but rather he takes it directly to a spiritual level because he knew his thirst could be quenched with one sip from a little cup. But he knew her thirst, her need was much greater and would take much more than a cup of water if she only knew that the Messiah of the world, whom the Samaritans believed that there was a Savior to come, but little did she know that she was sitting there having a conversation with the Messiah. If you really knew what was going on beyond the skin of this world and beyond the thoughts of finite humans, 
you might begin to grasp the greatness of the living water that Jesus is offering her. And if you knew who it was that was asking, perhaps we don't even know the Jesus that we claim to believe in, the Messiah that he is. If you knew who it was that was asking, he says to her. You see, I wonder if sometimes our thoughts on Jesus might be wrong. Perhaps our theology may be misaligned a little bit. Perhaps the prejudice of our culture has given us thoughts that don't really reflect a true biblical Jesus. Or maybe it's our assumptions based on bad experiences with people who've claimed to be followers of Jesus but are nothing more than fans who pride themselves on keeping rules invented for religious egos and guilty consciences. Perhaps there's a Jesus who's deeper than what your experience has led you to believe and that Jesus really is the answer that he claims to be. If he could just supply my need, my physical need, then maybe I would believe him for the spiritual. But since he didn't answer the prayer that I had and and make a way here or give me this or take away that or my friend who died and I prayed for that person and he didn't answer that need, how do I trust him in the spiritual if he can't answer my needs for the physical? If you only knew who it was that was asking you, you would ask him to fill your cup. You would stop looking for the answers that simply fit in this cup. Jesus uses this double level language that he oftentimes did, especially in the book of John. You see just a couple chapters later, after feeding a crowd of thousands with bread, he says, I'm the bread of life. There's this double level meaning, this talk beyond the talk. He has a conversation with a Pharisee, a religious person named Nicodemus. And he says, Nicodemus, if you really want to know the truth, you have to be born again. Nicodemus says, I've got to go back in my mother's womb because I'm pretty sure she's not okay with that. There were these double-level meanings throughout Jesus' talk recorded in the gospel. And in here, he is talking about thirst on a level beyond your physical need. Perhaps she had never identified or examined the deeper thirst of the heart. And have you? Have you taken a moment to understand the greater thirst that you have in your life beyond your physical needs? Because she's trying to fill her own cup. Her physical need is so great that she probably hasn't stopped to comprehend all of the reasons that she's sought satisfaction in relationships and other things. And in this simple moment, Jesus doesn't devalue her physical need for water. He just recognizes that she's going to have to come back to this well over and over again in the middle of the day. And there was so much more going on in her life. And he begins to speak to that. He knows she has no servant, so she must come herself. He recognizes that she chooses the hour of her journey for a reason, and she would have to keep coming back. And so do you notice that he asks her for water? He says, give me your limited resources, please. 
Grab onto that. Jesus simply asks for a piece of her limited resources. And in exchange, offers her unlimited resources. Jesus says, if you give me a sip, you know what? Even if you don't give me a sip, because I'm pretty sure this conversation derailed and none of them ever get water. I don't, it's not recorded. <laughs> That's next week's sermon. But he says, whether you give me the drink I've asked for or not, I'm offer you, offering you living water that you'll never have to come to this well for. You never have to depend on another human as long as you rely on me. Give me of your limited resources and trust me to pour out into you unlimited, clean water, life-giving water. And she simply replies, you have nothing to draw with. What resources and power could you possibly have right here in this moment that you offer me living water Where are you going to get such water? Where do you come from that you can talk like this? Have you ever asked yourself, maybe not out loud and perhaps not around your Christian friends, but in the back of your mind you think, how can Jesus possibly meet that need? Oh, sure, Jesus operates somewhere out there in the spiritual realm, but I don't know if he can actually meet the needs that I see facing me right now, so I'll fill my own cup, thank you. She goes on to say, are you greater than our father Jacob? She's recognizing a mutual ancestry. And for the Samaritans, Jacob was the hero, the ancestor that they looked to. But Jesus in his response, doesn't acknowledge or even talk about Jacob. He simply, in this case, is saying, look, I replace all of your traditions and all of your cultic, historic symbols and heroes. In this case, it's Jacob. I replace all those. I'm offering you something they could never give you. Realize when she asks the question, the way it's written in the Greek, she's actually expecting a negative response. There was sort of this, you don't think you're greater than Jacob, do you? (laughs) No, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's what she's expecting, that Jesus would negatively respond. No, 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 I'm not. But Jesus, when she asks the question, says, (laughs) actually, that is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying exactly that. I am greater than him. She wasn't expecting that. It's like when you're at a table eating food and you look to your right and you say, are you going to eat that? You expect to be able to take that from that person. In this moment, that woman did not expect that answer. She expected him to say, no, I would never claim that. But he says, yeah, in fact, I am greater than Jacob. Jacob may have dug the well, but God the Father provides the water. And in this moment, she begins to question everything. He turns it back to the core issue. He doesn't argue theology or tradition or history. He just turns it back to thirst and water. Then he says, what's your source? Your source you're going to have to come back to time and time again. But what I'm offering you, you never have to come back to. It's going to flow from within you. 
And so he's asking her, and I'm asking you today, what's your source? Where do you find life-giving water? What do you fill the cup of life with? What are you drinking spiritually? Is it, as we talked about last week in Jeremiah chapter 2, the prophet talks about two types of water, the living water that comes from God, and he talks about the water that we hold up stored in cisterns that are broken, that becomes stale, stagnant water. And Jesus is asking her the same question. What is your source? This invitation that Jesus is giving comes directly from the prophets in Isaiah 55. The invitation written in Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2, simply says it this way. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Come all who are thirsty and drink without cost. You don't have to work for it. You can't pay for it. Just come and drink. And this is the invitation of Jesus to all of us. But Jesus talks about the living water that comes only through him. And he's referring to the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had emptied himself of his divinity, of his access to that, and relied fully upon the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. The same that is offered to each and every one of us, a fresh living water. The water that every time you drink is clean and pure. Every day. Available to you and to me. Not based on what you did or had yesterday. Or the experience that you had last year. Or what God did a long time ago, but because his mercies are new every morning, because the fresh water flows guaranteed eternally every day for you and for me. And if your Christianity is based on something that you did long ago, oh yeah, Jesus, I took a sip of that, I prayed that prayer, we're good. You're missing out. I, I grew up in the church. I realized when I say that in South America, people think I actually lived in the church. They asked, I had one lady ask me, are you an orphan? I said, why? She said, you grew up in a church. I said, no, no, no. But I've heard, I've heard this language before. And if I were to look back on a moment, that's not fresh. That's yesterday's water, that stale cistern water that I stored for myself that one day I could say, yeah, Jesus, I did that one time. See, I put it in my cup. And Jesus says, I want to put living water in there. I want, I want to put something that's fresh for you for today, not for yesterday, but for today. Some of you need to hear that today. I think there's some of you in this room that today walked into this room saying, Jesus, if you don't say something to me today, I'm ending my life. That's it. I can't take it anymore. And the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you this morning. There's living water available to you today. 
not based on a decision long ago, but based on the promises that are new today. And you need to hear that. So how do I make Jesus my source? How do I keep it fresh? These are five things I do. Maybe you can join me in them. I read scripture every day. I got this nifty little digital device that gives me scriptures every day. Sometimes I turn to these old school ones that have paper in them, and I read from this one. But they're life-giving. Not because I'm obligated to as if I, if I didn't read it, God wouldn't talk to me. He's already talking to me. This is where I find life. This is where I find his promises. And I pray, I, I have a conversation with him. I take time each day. I have conversations throughout the day with him. I attend a life group. And I see what God's doing in other people. I, I let them speak into my life. I give. I give of my time and of my resources because I understand that my paycheck isn't my source. And every time I give, I declare to my heart and to my mind, you're not to trust in this. Because when I don't give, guess what? I start trusting in it and my ability to earn and keep, and make, and invest. All good things. But I need the reminder. And I give of my time, I serve, because then I'm able to show other people what my true source is. And I have to examine the sources that I cling to in my own life. Television. There's all sorts of things that will misguide you to some other source. Our culture is really great at providing other sources. And I just choose not to watch those things. And I'm careful of the music I listen to. I, I like to listen to music that draws me back to my source. That's just what I prefer. And I have to remind myself that going on social media shouldn't be my sor- sole source of pleasure for the day. Because when I turn it off, I immediately, my emotions go, but what if you miss out on something that's life-changing on Facebook? Yeah. I don't want to miss out. That's how I find out about you guys. Those are just my things. Maybe the Lord in this moment through his Holy Spirit is speaking to you and, and things are coming up in your mind of what you've replaced Jesus with and you've let become your source. Jesus doesn't want to be one of your sources. He wants to be your only source. Church, in this moment, would you simply close your eyes and bow your heads? Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. I know for some of us who have claim to be followers of Christ at any length of time perhaps there's that conviction that we take him just enough but not with desperation this morning 
perhaps like me, you feel that conviction of saying, Lord, I need you. And I've let other things creep in. I've let other things become my source. Lord, forgive me for letting other things take your place. For thinking I could fill my own cup. Some of you this morning, you've never made a decision to follow Christ with your life. You've done pretty good for yourself filling your own cup, but this morning, the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you to trust Jesus with your life. Let Him fill your cup. This moment is your holy moment to make that decision with those in this room who've made this decision before. I simply ask that in a moment when I ask, to raise your hand. We're going to pray with you. We're not going to point you out, but we're going to begin that journey with you as we ourselves are on that journey. If that's you this morning, you say, I want to make Jesus my life, my source. If you simply raise your hand, I'm going to pray with you. We're going to pray together. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand back down once you've raised it. Anybody else? This is your moment. In church, we're going to pray with those who've raised their hands, not just as an encouragement, but as a reminder. Because we didn't pray that prayer one day to leave it as a memory of the past, but each day in thanksgiving with gratitude for the one who died for us who gives us life. His resurrection wasn't about simply a destination after you go to your grave. That eternal life doesn't start at the moment of your death. It actually starts the moment in a prayer each day that you say, Jesus, I die to myself and live for you. You are my source. Let's pray this prayer together out loud. Dear Jesus, I invite you to come into my life and be my only source. Would you show me the shallowness of every other source? I ask you to forgive me for trying to fill my own cup. I ask you to do that beyond expectation, beyond any assumptions. Would you do your work in me Thank you for dying on the cross and rising again to give me new life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope you'll join us next week and bring a friend as we continue John chapter 4 and see what else unfolds in the scripture. I look forward to seeing you then. Have a great week. Hey, we are so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information about a deeper relationship with Christ, we would love to hear from you. Simply email nextsteps at c2church.com. 